left on their face with a hobnailed boot and broke their nose. One, two, three. Bullshit. Welcome to the Todd Run Podcast. I'm your host, David Bethay, coming to you today from the Super Hot Fire Studios. Talk to you about ESPN's trash best 25 players under 25 list. Now, if you've been listening to the podcast for a while, you know I'm not a hot take guy. I try to be very balanced and measured with my commentary. But when somebody comes up with a trash take that concerns the superstars for my team, I got to call them out. So if you're new to the show, please go ahead and subscribe on whatever your podcasting platform is, whether that be Apple, iTunes, Spotify, CastBox, whatever. Please follow us on social media. That includes Facebook and Twitter. Or you can email us, titlerunsports at gmail.com. So, ESPN just released their annual list of the best 25 players under 25 years of age. And boy, is it a pile of heaping garbage. Before we go much further, it probably would make sense to go ahead and give you the list. So, here's the list in order, and I'll try to go through this as quickly as possible. One, Luca. Two, Zion. Three, LaMelo Ball. Four, Donovan Mitchell. Five, Jason Tatum. Six, De'Aaron Fox. Seven, Ben Simmons. Eight, Devin Booker. Nine, Bam Adebayo. Ten, Shea Gilgis-Alexander. Eleven, Brandon Ingram. Twelve, Jalen Brown. Thirteen, Jamal Murray. Fourteen, Michael Porter Jr. Fifteen, Ja Morant. Sixteen, Trey Young. Seventeen, Mikael Bridges. Eighteen, DeMontis Sabonis. Nineteen, Anthony Edwards. Twenty, DeAndre Ayton. Twenty-one, Tyrese Halliburton. 22, John Collins, 23, Jarrett Allen, 24, Alonzo Ball, and 25, Colin Sexton. So, that's the list. The list was supposedly based off of future potential, and that was highlighted in the way they described the list, which essentially mean they decided to completely ignore current production in favor of potential. Now, lists like this really are made for these kind of debates, and so you really shouldn't get too bad of shape over any list like this because it doesn't affect whether or not your team is actually good. But what frustrates me is that when you're considered to be the worldwide leader in sports, you should have done some research and at least have some sort of logic and consistency in how you rank players. And when I look at this list, I see two players at the top in Luka and Zion who are elite players, both probably future MVPs, and if not, they're two guys that will be perennial MVP candidates. Got no problem with that. Got no problem with Donovan Mitchell and Jason Tatum and even Ben Simmons being in the top 10. Those are all guys that have been key players on teams that have made deep playoff runs. Same with Bam Adebayo at number 9. However, LaMelo Ball at number 3 having played half an NBA season and De'Aaron Fox at 6. De'Aaron Fox! And we're going to dissect why that's a bunch of bull in a few minutes here. But the issue that I have overall is that the standards that were applied to Trey and the criticisms that were made of Trey's game were not applied evenly to other players that are also on this list. And that criticism isn't just relegated to Trey because there are a couple other players on this list that are way too low. John Collins 22 seems a little bit low to me. And while John Collins' ceiling is probably not an all-NBA player or even an MVP, John Collins' ceiling is probably at least a future all-star which to me has him above someone like a Mikael Bridges, whose ceiling is probably really high in role player for most of his career. I mean, I could see Mikael Bridges making an all-star game, but he was drafted as a guy that was specifically a role play, a specialist role player. 
a high-end 3 and D guy. Those guys don't usually become all-stars. While John Collins, a guy that is an elite uh, scorer at the power forward position and rebounds and is improved in defense, it's not hard to see him making a handful of all-star teams. Same thing with someone like Colin Sexton at the bottom of this list. Colin Sexton is a very, very good offensive point guard. And even though I don't think he's as good as a lot of the other players on this list, I think you could definitely argue that his ceiling is higher than someone like Alonzo Ball, maybe, or at least it's comparable to someone maybe like a DeMontis Sabonis. So there are problems with this list that go beyond Trey Young. So before we get to Trey Young, I also want to point out a few people on this list that I think are way too high. I've already pointed out LaMelo Ball. I've already pointed out De'Aaron Fox. Shea Gilgis-Alexander at number 10. A guy who is a worse offensive player than Trey, less efficient than Trey, and is on a team that without Chris Paul on it, is one of the worst in the NBA. Michael Porter Jr. is a guy who's got all the offensive potential in the world, but he's so shaky defensively that they can't even use him in their closing lineups. So he's at number 14 ahead of Trey Young. At 21, Tyrese Halliburton, a player that I love, a player that I wanted the Hawks to take. You have him ahead of Colin Sexton. Tyrese Halliburton averages 12 points a game. This is ridiculous. Okay, Billy the intern is correcting me here. Tyrese Halliburton actually averages 13 points a game. I'm sorry. Yeah, and we have that guy ranked ahead of Colin Sexton. This is this is nuts. And curiously absent from this entire list, a guy who did not get a single vote is DeAndre Hunter. And you can't argue that it's because he's been hurt this season because LaMelo Ball has played half a year, just got hurt, and he's all the way up at number three. While Spurs reserve Keldon Johnson didn't get on the list, but he got more votes than DeAndre Hunter. Billy, do you have any like really good sound effects to drop here or you know, maybe some gunshots, something like that? You, you, you do? Okay, get them ready. Because we're about to jump into this and I'm about to go all in on this boo-boo list. All right, so here we go. First of all, the critiques they make about Trey Young's game is that there is a big question about whether his offensive brilliance can overcome the severe defensive limitations he has largely due to his size at 6'1", 180 pounds, and he's not going to get any bigger. Um, and they acknowledge that Trey is a really good offensive player and said that, well, you know, this is a case study in whether or not defensive limitations are really important. Um, hello, we know that this is an offensive league, and we know that defensive limitations don't really matter. Now, you can't be a, the league's worst defender unless you have a great team build around you, and Trey is arguably in that conversation. Unless you are one of the league's best offensive players, which Trey arguably is. But the biggest issue I have here is the double standard. So just to, just to clarify, Trey's averaging 26 and 9 on about 58% true shooting percentage. All right. Darren Fox, who's having this career year, is averaging 24 and 7 on around. 58% true shooting percentage. 32% from three, Trey shooting about 35%. Darren Fox is playing on one of the worst teams in the NBA, a team that is in the bottom three of the NBA in defensive efficiency, whereas Trey Young is playing on a team that is currently the fourth seed in the Eastern Conference. If you look at NBA.com's defensive efficiency for specific players, and what it is, is it takes the team's defensive rating, which is out of 100 possessions, and it says, when this player is on the floor, what is the defensive rating while that player is on the floor? So just out of curiosity, I sorted every player in the NBA under the age of 25 to see who has the actual lowest defensive rating in the entire NBA when they are on the floor. 
Number one on that list is De'Aaron Fox. Three spots above him, Lonzo Ball, a player who is generally credited as a better-than-average defender, and I agree with that assessment. Two spots ahead of Lonzo Ball, Tyrese Halliburton, De'Aaron Fox's teammate. And then further down the list, Shea Gilgis-Alexander in the top 15. And then you hop down further in the top 20, and you get all the way down to Trey Young. Take that for data. So, some of this has noise. One of the things that affects defensive rating is who you're on the floor with. Trey Young plays with an elite defensive center in Clint Capella. Clint Capella is probably going to make the all-defensive team, and if he doesn't, he should. Um, He's been one of the best defensive centers in the NBA this year. Trey benefits from playing with a player like that. Sacramento Kings do not have any sort of rim protectors that can even approximate what the Hawks get out of Clint Capella, and they don't have people that rebound the way he does. So naturally, De'Aaron Fox and Tyrese Halliburton are going to suffer because they don't play with a defensive anchor like what the Hawks have. However, it's one thing to have a bad defensive rating. It's another to have the worst defensive rating of anyone in this group. But is that brought up in their assessment of De'Aaron Fox? No. Instead, they pointed that Fox is one of only seven NBA players averaging at least 24 points and seven assists, another of whom is Trey Young, <laughs> and that he's leading a Kings team finally headed in the right direction. I don't know what ESPN considers the right direction, but the Kings are currently at 22-30, and 30, five games out of the eight seed, two and a half games out of the playoff tournament, and 19 games out of first place. So yeah, you're saying that he has his team headed in the right direction when his team has a significantly worse record than Trey Young's team, and he has stats and efficiency that isn't as good. I, I don't understand. And that's the same argument I have with Shea Gilgis-Alexander. He's having a career here. He's averaging over 20 points a game. He's a good player on one of the worst teams in the NBA in the Oklahoma City Thunder. Granted, a team that is actually trying to be bad because they actually were better early in the year, but they are actually trying to be bad now. And he had he got to contribute to a playoff run with Chris Paul playing beside him that last year. But we obviously see that with what Chris Paul is doing in Phoenix, that a lot of that success was was a result of who he is. My issue with this, my issue is, again, the same thing I said with De'Aaron Fox. One of the sets I like to use that gives me a good starting point for people's impact is defensive real plus minus. Box plus minus is a traditional kind that you see on ESPN's website, but one of their analysts, John Hollinger, before he left, developed a really good model called real plus minus, which takes into account other game factors. So it's broken into defensive and offensive plus minus, and then the total together is real plus minus. Now, when you look at defensive real plus minus, Trey Young is rated as the worst defensive guard in the NBA. Not surprising. One spot above him is Tyrese Halliburton. Two spots above them is John Morant. Five spots above them is De'Aaron Fox and LaMelo Ball. So, here's my issue. Trey Young is supposedly this garbage all-time bad defender, and he's penalized for it in the way he's perceived. However, I just gave you four other players on this list that are also in the bottom 10 in the NBA in defensive real plus minus. It ain't just Trey. And in fact, the truth is that there's only one point guard in the entire NBA that's actually good on both ends of the floor. His name is Chris Paul and he's arguably one of the top five point guards of all time. 
So nobody cares that Damian Lillard is a bottom 10 defender according to all the metrics. Nobody cares that last year Bradley Beal rated right above Trey as one of the worst five defenders in the NBA. Nobody cares. Because when you're that good on offense and you're that elite at your skill, people overlook it. And what's going to happen to Trey Young or Shea Gildas Alexander or De'Aaron Fox in the playoffs? They'll get destroyed on defense and they'll ball out on offense and no one will care. Because that's how it works in the NBA. And what bothers me here is that People like Shea Gilgis Alexander and Dean Fox are given credit for these great, great years they're having that are the same numbers Trey's put up the last two years. Trey averaged 29 and 9 last year, but they were empty calories. A lot of people said they were stats put up on a bad team that wasn't even close to being competitive, which is true. Is that not what De'Aaron Fox is doing this year? Is that not what Shea Gilgis Alexander is doing this year? I don't understand the difference. Because like I said, when you look at someone like Donovan Mitchell or Jason Tatum, Ben Simmons, Devin Booker even, those guys are on winning teams. Although I will argue that Devin Booker isn't really a whole lot different than Trey Young. Before Chris Paul got on his team, Devin Booker hadn't won anything. And he made a couple all-star teams because people thought he was a great, efficient scorer, which he is. But again, what's Devin Booker's ceiling? Do you see Devin Booker becoming a whole lot better than what he is right now? I think Devin Booker's ceiling is he makes a couple All-NBA teams. I do. I think he's a good player. Isn't that the same as Trey's ceiling? Trey's already started an All-Star game. Isn't his ceiling possibly making an All-NBA team? Same with Donovan Mitchell. Now, again, you give someone like Donovan Mitchell the benefit of the doubt because he's been unbelievable in the playoffs in his first few years. And Trey hasn't even made the playoffs yet. And I get that. But Ben Simmons is averaging 15 points a game. He is Barely rated as a positive offensive player by every possible metric. Ben Simmons is a above-average defensive player who is a slightly above-average scorer. And as actually for an NBA point guard, he's actually a below-average offensive player. And yet, he's seen as this generational talent. Mainly because he plays on a team with Joel Embiid that's always been good since he's been in the NBA. But again, if we're talking potential, what's his ceiling? Is Ben Simmons all of a sudden going to become some 25-point-per-game scorer like Trey Young already is? That's probably never going to happen. So what's his ceiling? And why is his ceiling viewed as so much higher than Trey's when he is a below-average player that's an above-average defender? I'm just saying. Again, I'll even say Jamal Murray. He's one I get. Been successful in the playoffs. But my argument is that Trey is a better offensive player than everybody I just named. If you look at this entire list, Trey Young is the third best offensive player on this list by every possible metric. If you go by points per game, counting stats like assists, if you go by PIPM, player impact plus minus, which is one of the ones off of B-ball index, which they have since converted into a stat they call the LeBron index. By that index, Trey is the third most impactful offensive player on this list behind Luka and Zion, which I think most people would say is true anyway. And so despite the fact that Trey is the third best offensive player on this list, he's put behind people that aren't as good as he is on offense and are still really bad on defense. And again, I don't understand. And this underscores a deeper issue that we have with Trey Young and its perception around the league. And this goes back into the whole thing with the All-Star game and why he wasn't added to the team. The narrative on Trey Young is that he runs his mouth, people hate his style of play, and he hasn't won anything. The facts are he's a top 10 offensive player in the league, Probably a top three player on this list. He's the second best offensive guard in this list. 
and most of the other guards in this list are bad on defense too, but they're not penalized. And I think it's going to take Trey being good in the playoffs, having a Donovan Mitchell-like playoff performance, for people to get off his back and realize that his offense is good enough to carry his bad defense. And his defense is bad. So I'm tired of the Trey slander. I'm tired of people looking past all of the flaws of the same people that are in the same class that are having the same failures, both on the defensive end of the floor and in the win column, and them not being called out for it. Stop holding Trey to a different standard. And as for John Collins, the fact that he's behind a player like Tyrese Halliburton, who doesn't even start on his own team, and I, I get this is based on projection. Tyrese Halliburton projects to be a really good NBA player for a long time. John Collins projects, projects to be a future multi-time All-Star. I would say he makes at least a couple of All-Star games during his career. Could you really say that about Tyrese Halliburton? Maybe. Maybe. And again, while you don't really get bent out of shape about these lists, I would just like to see them made with some sort of thought and logic. John Collins is 23 years old still. He's going to continue to get better. So the idea that he's behind players that aren't even starters or projected behind role players is just ridiculous to me. But here's the bottom line. The way that we get Trey Young and John Collins higher on this list next year is by winning in the playoffs. Go in the playoffs and perform, and a lot of this disrespect, a lot of these national haters will be silenced. So those are my thoughts on the ESPN 25 best players under 25 list. I hope you've enjoyed this rare uh, hot take from me. And uh, at the end of the day, I love my Hawks. And if you slander my team, I'm coming for you. This has been Dave Bethay for the Title Run Podcast. That's it for today. Thank you for listening.